Hello, welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. Today's episode is a special master's edition featuring a lifelong San Antonio resident named Bill Luttrell. Um, Bill is um, kind of new to the running scene. He's 65 um, and he started running in 2010 after he lost his job um, and a guy told him that he should start running. Okay. Um, and he really wasn't keen on running on the streets. And so he took to the trails and of course being in San Antonio, there's a lot of really great trails around here. So, um, that's what he did. And it gave him a, a sense of hopefulness. Um, he's also a bit of a philosopher or he's just got a very interesting outlook on life. Um, when his doctor, uh, told him that he had no cartilage in one of his knees, um, and told him not to run. <laughs> he signed up for the Bandera 50K. <laughs> and for the uninitiated, Bandera is a very brutal race. I mean, I know I've talked about this, you know, often on this this podcast. Um, yeah, it is not a uh, walk in the park. <laughs> um, even though it is at a beautiful state park, it's rugged, it's rocky, it's steep, and you know, kind of unforgiving at times. Um, but people love this race, and. Um, for good reason, you know, it's, it's a good challenge. And, um, so he managed to get about 21 miles out of that particular, uh, race, uh, before he DNF'd and, um, still doesn't have cartilage in his knee. And, um, but he decided that he still wanted to try it again. And so he did, he signed up for it. Um, and again, this race is in January, usually the first or second weekend in January. Um, and a few months before that, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. So that's a lot of, I don't want to say obstacles, but those are some things that, you know, a lot of other people don't really have um, to, to cope with. And, uh, but that didn't stop him. And uh, he was determined to finish. And he made a friend along the way, a guy that he refers to as the Marine. Um, his name is William, and I'm not going to try to say his last name because I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. Um, starts with a K. <laughs> anyway, but the Marine, as he refers to him, mentally, I, I, you know, he probably just was like one of those um, people that comes into your life at the right time, and um, they got through that particular 50K together. Um, and this was, Bandera has, has like this, potential for any kind of weather and, and it usually is um i would say probably more than half the times that i've done the race um you know either the 25k or the 50k um it's been insanely cold um like in the 30s mud um yeah it just it's it can be really bad and um and then there's other times when it's fairly mild for january in texas so um, but more often than not, it's cold. And, uh, this particular year I did not run it. I think this was, I want to say 2021. I think it was two years ago and, um, it sleeted. Well, no, I'm sorry. It rained, it sleeted, and then it snowed. And I happened to be working the, I think it's the Boyles aid station. It's the one that's right before it's your final aid station before the finish line. It's about four and a half miles from the finish. Um, although I know the shortcut up the hill. So, uh, from the start finish, so, which is handy <laughs> if you're working the aid station, but let me tell you, we had a tarp up that day, you know, I mean, as, as normal, but you know, we had heaters cooking and man, I'll tell you, I was so glad I wasn't running that day because it was, it was pretty brutal. And I, I was feeling for my friends cause I had a lot of friends, uh, came up from the Rio Grande Valley and, uh, I know they were struggling too. And, um, and so Bill and William are, are also out there and <clears throat> they pull into the Chappas aid station, which is this really, it's, I think it's sort of like a horse stall. Um, I, I've never worked that particular aid station. I've just kind of passed through it, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a fairly nice aid station. Um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, you just like pass through it. I mean, like most aid stations, but other, I mean, like the one that I was at, it was a little different, you know, it's just sort of like this nook. Um, and this one was just more like a structure. Anyway, um, there's a group uh, of runners from the Big Ass Runners podcast, I think. God, here I go, talking about somebody else's podcast. Um, but anyway, they were, they were sponsoring that particular aid station. And um, 
Bill came in, he had hypothermia. Um, they, they, you know, fixed him up and, and sent him back out there and, um, and he and the Marine finished and, uh, it's quite a story. And, uh, and I don't think I've stolen too much thunder from that. Um, so yeah, so the, I think the thing that is again, strikes me about him is that he's very philosophical about the way he looks at things. Um, he, um, you know, he has this, uh, belief, you know, it's like, you know, don't die in the chair, you know? <laughs> and, uh, the other thing that he brought up that I thought was really interesting, um, is he said that, um, and I did not know this and I have not verified this, so don't quote me on this, but he said that, uh, John F. Kennedy, um, junior or John F. Kennedy, sorry. Um, said that everybody should run 50 miles. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, so for his next race, he is uh, trying for a 25K in the fall. It's in Colorado. It's called the Great Divide. And um, anyway, without stealing too much of his thunder, Lord, I feel like I just told you everything. I did not. Um, let's listen to my conversation with Bill Luttrell. Oh, all right. So I have Bill Luttrell here with me. Uh, you live in San Antonio, right? That is correct. All right. What part of town? All my life. Oh, you're really? Wow. Yeah. Um, Bought at the Alamo, actually. Okay. Really? I didn't. <laughs> I was saying, you're not that old. Um, but uh, what was I going to ask you? Uh, what part of town are you in? The north side. Okay. 1604, 281 area. Oh, okay. Ooh, that, that overpass is really fun. It's like being on a roller coaster. <laughs> or at least I think so. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I live on the southeast side in Highland Park, if you know where that is. Um, I do, off, actually. Yeah, 281 and 10. Yeah, so it's off, you know, kind of an older neighborhood, but it's it's cool. I mean, I've only lived here for, it'll be six years in August. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, so your friend William told me about you and um, your adventures at uh, Bandera. Um, was it 2021? I think that's correct. Yeah, and we I, call we we call him the Marine. He's a twenty-three uh, year. Oh, he's the Marine. Marine. Okay. And this story's as much about him as it is about me. Okay. All right. Well, so, I want to hear this story because this is a pretty interesting one. So here I'm a I'm gonna start with what happened last week just to make a point. Good. I was going to an event and there was a gentleman getting out of his truck that. I knew until I waited for him to get out. And as he's getting out, he's, he starts complaining about his weight. And he, he turns to me, he goes, how do you stay so fit? And I said, well, I was up at 4.30 this morning at the park at 5.30, ran six miles, drove into work, met a trainer and did weights for 50 minutes. And he said, sorry, I asked. <laughs> and I thought, oh, right at that moment, I felt convicted because... I realized I was saying that out of, out of pride. And what I should have said is I keep moving. Yeah. And that's really the key. Because one of the points I want to make today is why does it take a crisis for us to do something healthy for our lives? Instead, of, we know what we need to do, but we wait for a crisis. And that's what happened in my life. Okay. I was working for one of the national CPA firms and that one day I wasn't working for them. And I had two kids in college, one still in private high school. And um, what was worse is when I went out for interviews, I wasn't even relevant to the conversation anymore. It's like I nobody wanted me and I just didn't seem to fit in. Hmm. And it was like a sucker punch. I remember like I couldn't get off the floor. I was so devastated. And how long ago? And I was, that would have been in 2010, I believe. Okay. All right. Sorry. It was no. right after the, the financial crisis. So a lot of people were going through this. Yeah. And I was walking out of church one morning and this fellow that I knew because we were on a finance committee together stopped me and said, hey, I've heard you lost your jobs. Sorry. Sorry about that. And then he says, do, do you own a pair of running shoes? And I thought for a moment because I wasn't sure if I did. 
But I thought, I'm going to go with yes. Yes, I own a pair of running shoes. He goes, you should start running. And then he walked away. And I thought, I hate running. Why would I ever want to start running? <laughs> and the next Monday morning, I was back at my little computer looking for jobs. And I was probably 15 minutes into it. And I was just discouraged. And I, so I got up and I went in my closet. And I did have a pair of running shoes. And I put them on and I went to a park. I didn't intend to be a trail runner, but I didn't want to run in the streets because I didn't want anybody seeing me run. It'd be too painful for them to watch. I wanted to <laughs> run in the trees. So I went to this park and and I remember coming to this trailhead and looking up. It had this steep hill to begin with. And I started running after sitting in a cubicle for 25 years. And about two minutes into this run, I remember just stopping. My body was saying, do you like feel pain? Why are you out here running? You're going to kill yourself. And I remember, remember thinking, there's a part of me that's already dying. Nothing seems to be working. That day, I think I may have, may have done two and a half miles. I think it took me two hours. Oh. It was miserable. I think I'd spent more time crying than I'd spent running. But I kept going back every day. And I found that the more I kept going back, the stronger I became, not yeah. just physically, but mentally. Mm. And over time, hope was returning. And so it's out of this crisis that I find myself out there running, not intending to become a trail runner. I didn't even know trail running was a thing. But it's what kept me uh, out there was this sense of hopefulness that that emerged. Mm -hmm. And um, it, there, there is this magic moment, this is important, where something that is good and important to us becomes the ultimate thing. And then when that breaks, you're in a crisis again. So that occurred to me because I had a tear in my meniscus and went in, they took x-rays and they said, oh, you don't have any cartilage. You have osteo, what is it, arthritis? Oh my gosh. And um, I said, well, what should I do? And the girl says, well, you should stop running. <laughs> and I thought, I can't stop running. So what did I do? I went home and signed up for an ultra. That's <laughs> what runners do. <laughs> And so that year, I, I made my first attempt in Bandera to complete the ultra, the 50K. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make it. I DNF. And here's why. All the negative talk. It wasn't just from the... I had two doctors tell me, you shouldn't be running. Um, my friends were saying, you don't need to be running. And when you're out there doing these long runs, your mind start talking to you and saying, why are you out here? Nobody cares that you're out here. You could be at home on the couch. Why are you torturing yourself like that? And really, that negative thought process can truly shut you down. So when I got to the Chapa station in Bandera after 21 miles, mm -hmm. I DNF'd. So I signed up for it again, thinking, I'm going to sign up just to force myself to do it again. Mm -hmm. If I don't sign up when it's available, I, I, I won't, I'll never try. So I signed up, went back out to make another attempt. Um, but this time I was beginning to prepare. And that's when I met the Marine. Marine had to come into my life to bring some structure. I remember the first time we were going to run, he, he said, well, let's, let's be at the park at, at that time. He was being kind, eight o'clock. I showed up at eight o'clock, which... For me, showing up at eight o'clock is like a victory. Mm. It's, it's one of my character flaws. <laughs> and he informed me that when he says eight o'clock, that's when we step off. So if you've got to do these other things, you need to get her early. That's what I knew. I need this guy in my life. Okay. So now we now we meet at 5.30 in the morning to start our runs. And I'm still a violator at the time. But he's the one that started building into my life to help me get structured. And so much of running is truly a mental. You know, you'll always hear that. People say, well, running, it's it's mental. Oh, it yeah. is until it becomes physical. 
because there's two sides to the same coin there. Uh, but during that same period of time as we were preparing in October that year, I was I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, oh which, you know, one out of 10 men get it. Most men will die with it, not from it, but it can it can be very aggressive and it can kill you. And so after I got that diagnosis, I showed up at the park that Saturday morning and said, told them the story. And I said, I think this is it. I think my body's breaking down and I've got to finish an ultra. And I remember he just looked at me with complete silence. And then, and then he got all Marine. He said, okay, my race is off. Your race is on. I will stay with you and I will make certain you get across that finish line. And, and part of my story is it is the power of a timely word. I had a fellow that I didn't know who said, do you have a pair of running shoes? Then I have a Marine who's saying, okay, your race is on, I'll get you across. So we began to, to work out with a little more intention. But as we'd run, I'd hear all the all of the stories of the past and and the importance of endurance and the need to be willing to gut it up or to embrace the suck when it comes. Yeah. And and to always envi envision the finish line and the importance of believing that you will finish. Mm. Think about think about the first time you ever saw 5K. It's like, oh, well, that's, that's a long distance. Mm -hmm. Then you do a couple of them and you think that's nothing. Then you move to a 10K. You don't even get out of bed for a 5K. <laughs> you move to a 10K, then then to you know 30K, and you just once you've done them and your mind is convinced you can do it, you do it. And, and it's somewhat of a mystery to me. Our, our minds do limit, can limit what we think we can accomplish. So that was, that's what began that. And then finally we do get to the Bandera race. And since you live here in Texas, you know that we do have a winter and some days, some years it's like one day. I was I was there that day. I was working the aid. I think it's the last aid station. I don't know if that was Trappist or which one that is, but yeah. Um, I do remember that one because you yeah. probably remember me the the guy crying. I, actually, by the time I get there, most everybody's gone. Yeah. But that day, it was it was miserable. The Saturday before, the weather was perfect for running. Yeah. Then overnight, here comes this cold front. It's raining the entire day. It's freezing. It's sleeting. There are little snow flurries. And for the first six hours, I thought, this is so awesome to be out here. <laughs> and I've I've run in very cold weather and, and done very well with it. Because I'm always amazed how quickly the body warms up. Mm -hmm. What I hadn't done is run seven hours totally drenched in near freezing weather with high gusts of winds. So when we finally pulled in to, oh, in the mud. So when you don't have, oh, yeah. when you don't have cartilage in your, in your leg, cartilage sort of helps the bone stay in place. And as your foot slides into that mud and you're pulling it back out, it, it is pulling on that bone. Oh. And you're doing that for six hours and it, it was extremely painful. But we pull into the Chapa station and they had warm food, and it was the Big Ass Runner podcast guys yeah. that were hosting it. And as I sat there, uh, hypothermia just sort of set in all over me. I began to shiver so bad. Now, I had a change of clothes there, and all I wanted to do was get out of these wet clothes and get on some warm clothes. But my fingers were frozen. I love toe socks. I run with toe socks all the time. You know what I'm referring to those toe socks? In they gingies. are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, They're thank great. you. I yes. would have said the name, but I can't pronounce it. It's okay. But you can't put them on when your fingers are frozen. And so I was over in the corner uh, trying <sighs> to get, get on these socks and I couldn't get them on. Somebody had to come over and push them on me. And, and then I, I had trouble getting pants on and I couldn't get my shoes on and so the Marine came over and began to help me. And I always know I'm in trouble with him when, when all of a sudden he starts talking to me like I'm a fourth grader. <laughs> he says, well, where's your jacket? 
and I'm just silent. I don't have a jacket. And he says, you don't have a jacket? You aren't prepared for this? Oh, God. And I realize I'm in trouble. He says, if you get hypothermia out there, I'm the one that has to carry you out. And all of a sudden in my mind, I realize I think it's over. Oh my God. I DNF'd here last year. I'm a DNF again because I am too miserable. So I'm staring at the ground when all of a sudden I hear a, a voice that I've never heard before say, well, he needs a wool cap. Here, take my wool cap. Oh. And he comes over and he puts on me a wool cap and Maureen says, but he doesn't have anything to break the wind. The guy says, no, I think we have a poncho over here. He runs and gets a poncho and he Puts it on me, and, he, and I'm standing up, and he's draping it on me, and he's tying it off as if we're in some kind of stage place, play, and I'm about to go out for the final performance of the evening. <laughs> and he's just being so kind and gracious to me. And, and I'm just staring at the ground thinking, I can't go on. It's over. I'm going to have to drop out. When he says to me, look at me. And I stared at the ground. He finally said, look at me. I slowly raised my eyes and met his eyeballs. And he said, we want you to finish. Oh. We want you to finish. And right when he said that, it was like a, a spell was broken. And somebody really cares that I'm out here? Somebody wants me to finish? And I remember thinking... If I just turn and go out that door and not look back and keep running, I can finish. And so I turned and I ran out that door. Ten miles, probably four hours later, that'd be four miserable hours later, we crossed the finish line. But the significance is, you know, if you want to, they always say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with a group. Mm. But if you want to finish, you might need a Marine. <laughs> You're going to need a kind word, a very timely word to come along and, and lift you up to say you can finish. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a powerful lesson to me, the power of words in our lives. Yeah. So I keep running. Um, it gets more painful as the days go by, but I keep running. And I find it so incredibly important especially for my mental health. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever get your cartilage in your knee addressed or are you still running without cartilage in your knee? Still running without cartilage. Oh my God. Always ask the, the uh, surgeon, well, when should I get this knee replacement? He says, when you're through running. I said, okay. <laughs> That'll be a while. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so you learn to cope. Yeah, I guess so. That's well, yeah, obviously you're living proof of that. So I, I got it. I, re I remember when I was training for my first 50 miler, I've only done two, but um, I was, they wanted, uh, the doctors wanted to take out my thyroid and because um, I had nodules on it, it was non-cancerous, but um and they wanted to do surgery like I don't know and soon and I'm like look I'm training for a 50 miler can, can we wait until I finish the race <laughs> so um they did that oh good <laughs> yeah but you know what's critical the body to heal it needs blood flow mm -hmm. and that's why the knees like your cartilage and the torn meniscus doesn't heal because it doesn't get blood flow but i find that when i run i think it increases my blood blood flow i shouldn't be practicing medicine but i That's find okay. there is something magical about it yeah so even with cancer even with prostate cancer there's been some research on does strong um, exercise reduce prostate cancer their findings have been inconclusive because there's not very many 60 years olds out there doing endurance type exercise. So they don't, I don't think they have the right sample size, but yeah. I'm believing it does. I agree. I'm, As a I'm fellow keep running something, yeah. 
Good. Now, after we finish Bandera, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you another story. Because Absolutely. In, I love stories. In the Marine, the Marine said, we're doing Grand Canyon, rim to rim. <laughs> I'm like, in, I'm just like the babbling idiot. I just go, okay, we're doing rim to rim. Now, he's he's the Marine. He's, he's going to sit there and he's going to map out the details of what we're doing. And, and I'll explain why in, in a moment here. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, that there's no surprises. We've got to be here at this time. We've got to be here at this time. We get to the south rim, but because we're not doing rim, rim to rim, we have to take a shuttle to yeah. the north rim to okay. run back to the south rim. Here's what's crazy to me. By the time you get on the shuttle to drive to the north rim, five hours Oof. and it takes took us 10 hours to run across it to me that's just kind of crazy but the, <laughs> how many miles but the, is that it's about 24 miles okay and okay. the last five uphill are Ugh. horrible i can only imagine so anyway sorry so we so so we get there the the day before we run and we're we're going over to the ranger station to see what water is available because oftentimes there is no water down there. Either they shut it off or things are broken. Mm -hmm. But they list where, where you can get water. So we walk into this ranger station and I see this display in the corner. And I it's got all these books on it. And I go over and I'm picking, picking up this book that's entitled Death in the Canyon. Oh, and I'm flipping through it. There's been over 700 deaths in the Grand Canyon. Oh my goodness. Now, a lot of those were like helicopters and things of that nature. But it's I'm a little freaked out by this. So <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at this death in the canyon and I hear the ranger ask the marine, uh, can I help you? And he says, No, I think we got what we needed here. We wanted to see what water is available because for tomorrow we're gonna run from North Rim to the South Rim. And I remember these two rangers, they both stood up. And they both stared at me. I'm in my 60s. Mm -hmm. I have white hair. <laughs> and they're they're eyeballing me from top to the bottom and slowly making their way back up. The Marine picks up on this and he and he breaks their moment stare and he says, Hey, he's stronger than he looks. <laughs> <laughs> I remember still staring at the book entitled Death in the Canyon. I'm thinking, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> I saw one ranger go over and pick up a pen and write something down, which I assume is schedule rescue tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so we make our, our way down across the canyon and it, it is worth doing. It's, it is very doable. Okay. Uh, there's a place in there that's called the box where kind of both sides come together and you're running it's like running to god's cathedral oh, wow. it was amazing and and we get across the colorado just as the sun is going down so now we're going to spend the next you know four or five hours going up in the dark which probably is good because you can't see the drops <laughs> your near-death experiences as you're going up yeah um but we do we do finish that race but here's here's the thing about the marine. You know, I, I talked about how I have um, I have I was led into racing because of a crisis. Mm -hmm. It was something in my life just blew up, and it was out of desperation. I just, in my opinion, lucked into it. Mm -hmm. It was the, a divine appointment to go run. <laughs> For the marine, it's like preparedness. It's kind of like what he what he learned throughout his years. He's just everything is about being prepared. Mm -hmm. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You better be ready. Yeah, and that's why we he does all the preparation. And the the uh, day before we were running, he he looked at me and he said, "Now you you need to understand who the enemy is." And I'm thinking, I'm still thinking about death in the canyon. <laughs> enemy, and he says, "Who who could be our enemy?" Well. Could be water, could run out of water. That would become our enemy. Could mm -hmm. be fueling. We run out of food. That could be our enemy. And and it could be the weather. The weather could change in us. That could be our enemy. We have to be prepared for our enemies. 
And I said, where do, you, where do you get all this? And he says, well, it's just the basic Marine battle handbook. You can Google it if you want. <laughs> but I thought that's interesting because that's the way he approaches it as if as if he was going into battle. Everything is scheduled out. Every, what could happen is thought through. And it's what makes getting to the finish line achievable. Mm -hmm. So he did get me through the Grand Canyon as well. Wow. And he also lives in San Antonio, right? He does. Okay. I mean, obviously, if you guys are training together. <laughs> um, <gasps> so, so have you done other big races since then? Uh, let's see. What we have coming up next is in Colorado. It's called the, I think it's called the, the Great Divide. It's in Divide, Colorado, Ooh. and it's at ninety five hundred feet. So that'll be a, a good race. Mm -hmm. In which distance? That's all I have that? on my calendar. Yeah. So okay. what? Which distance? Well, I am doing the twenty five k, and okay. he's doing the fifty miles. Oof. Okay. <laughs> so do you see yourself? Uh, I just love the fact that you you're told that you have no cartilage and not to run. And then you're like, I'm signing up for an ultra. <laughs> you're such a runner. Um, <laughs> um, so do you think that at, at some point you might try for like a, uh, you know, 50 mile or 100k 100 mile or any of that stuff or is this just fine i want to say i will do that but i don't know yeah yeah i don't well, know yeah well that's okay i mean <laughs> that's the thing yeah well it depends who you hang around too because sometimes you know your friends start doing all these crazy things and you're like well i guess i should go do that too huh exactly exactly <laughs> i know i got myself sucked into trying a hundred miler a couple of times and i've never finished one and um did pretty awfully i did one i i attempted one at the end of this past year and the mental game was way wrong and so and I hadn't really finished too many races last year, mainly because of that mental thing going on. And so, um, yeah, and I and I think a lot of that was just because my friends were doing it. And so they survived. Why can't I, you know, but I just don't think I'm. So, so what happens, though? And so I'm curious what mm -hmm. happens, because, again, it is a lot of mental talk, yeah. self-talk that's negative. And. Mm -hmm. And you really do have to get to that point where I believe I can do this. Yeah. I don't think I believed it. I mean, you know, it was just one of those things where my training had pretty much been off the rails. Um, like I said, I had a few DNFs for some kind of key training races, you know, if you will. Um, I, you know, I use distance races to you know, make them training runs, you know, so, you know, that way you don't have to like go out and run 50 miles or something in your neighborhood or you know, the local trail, you know, it's more, it's a little more fun to be, you know, uh, supported <laughs> people giving you snacks and water and things like that, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I just think my, I mean, okay. So the race that I, that I was trying this at is called Snowdrop. I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's outside. Of yes. Houston. Yeah. Yes. You go in circles for hours and ugh, yes, ugh, it's just, it's not for me. It's not my kind of, yeah. I mean, if I, if I ever, and I don't think I'm gonna, but um, if I ever tried one, I think it would have to be a little more um, not point to point, but not hundreds of loops you know it just it's it just yeah because i mean i was mentally falling apart even though i was trying all of the things that you're supposed to do you know i was trying to stay present and think positive thoughts and and but i was afraid to talk to my friends too much because i didn't want to bring them down and so you know i would take breaks and drink a cold topo chico you know thinking okay that'll you know cheer me up a little bit and yeah and so i got about I don't know, 15 and a half miles and which it isn't much and I called my sister and I was in tears I'm like I can't do this <laughs> and uh and she's like well you at least should you know do a little bit more your friends are all out there you know and I'm like I know I mean 
And that was the terrible part was that I was out there with like some of my favorite people, but it just, I don't know. It just, I don't think I wanted it that badly. And, um, and I, I wasn't willing to, um, spend that much time because the night before the race, uh, one of my friends who's done this a couple of times said it took her cause it's a 55 hour event. So you get 55 hours to do hundred miles. It sounds pretty good. And a lot of people sleep and whatnot. Um, I mean, you kind of have to, but she said that it took her 47 hours the year before. And I was just like, I mean, mm -hmm. I knew it was going to take a while, but I was just like, I don't know that I want to be out here for 47 hours. And so that's that's that just, two days. That's a long time. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't think I, I can do that. And so that started planting, you know, seeds of doubt and yeah. And then everything. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, I'm happy to report, uh, that I, did, and then I've been injured. I have this hip flexor inj injury that actually is, I've really not been able to run much this year. And so I've been doing other stuff, which is good. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably why I got injured is because I was just running all the time and not cross training enough. And, uh, but I did a, a 10 K on Saturday, um, up in my hometown of Cincinnati, um, at an event called the flying pig. And, um, it's kind of a big race, uh, for road racers or whatever. And, um, it was my nephew's birthday and I was like, well, why not? Let's go up there and, you know, celebrate his birthday and I'll do a race, you know, and, and I did pretty well and it was kind of a confidence booster. So it's, it kind of helped my mental state a little bit. Cause I just, I didn't think about pace. I didn't think about, you know, Oh my God, you know, cause I mean, in my mind I was thinking, years ago, I could probably run a 10 K in like an hour or so, you know, maybe a little over an hour. And, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, we all get slower and, um, or most of us do, <laughs> but anyway, and I kind of figured, okay. And, and Cincinnati is known as the city of seven Hills. So it's, you know, a little like San Antonio and, you know, you know, so I was like, Oh boy, you know, and I didn't know what the course would be like, but it really wasn't that bad. But I told my family, I said, I'll probably be, you know, an hour and 45, two hours. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was like worst case scenario thinking, you know, and, and knowing that it was going to be kind of run walking it. And, um, but it only took me an hour and a half <laughs> and that included yeah. walks. Yeah. So I That's was a victory. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt pretty good. It was just, like I said, it was a confidence booster. Uh, it made me feel like, and I didn't hurt too badly. And, uh, and I still don't really hurt that bad. I still, am, it, you know, it, it's still kind of an angry thing that flares up, but I think it just might be a chronic problem. <laughs> I'm just going to have to be like you and just sort of suck it up and deal. <laughs> but, um, but the way you talk to yourself is so important. Yes. And you you do have to practice it, by the way. Yeah, no, I know, I know, and and it's so. What? How do you do it? What do you What do you say to yourself? Do you, um, first of all, do you listen to music or podcasts or anything like that, or are you just strictly? No, I always listen to music. Okay. Always. What What do you listen uh, to? Well, I listen to Christian artists, actually. Okay. So, and, and running sort of becomes this little sanctuary of worship for me. Yeah, no, I agree. So with that, that that pulls me along. Yeah, yeah. Now, what one morning while we were running, the marine was behind me, and we were making our way down some hills that are very rocky and tricky. And he's behind me, and I hear him say, "Boy, getting old really sucks." <laughs> and I said, "Why'd you say that?" He goes, "Just looking at you." <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> no, I don't need to hear that. I'm not telling hey. myself this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Good Lord. How old is he? He's early 50s. Oh, okay. He's probably 12 years younger than I, but. Okay. And how old are you? I am 65. 65. Okay. You don't look it, but. Thank so. you. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't. I mean, you look like one of these. Just because you have gray hair doesn't necessarily mean you look old. So yeah, it's yeah. So I would see. I was when you said you were in your sixties. I was like, really? <laughs> so see, it's that running. Um, it is that running. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about the the cancer diagnosis. Um, are you still being treated, or is it in remission, or what's going on? Well, we've done done three biopsies, fifty two samples. Most of them are negative. But the MRIs suggest 
highly aggressive cancer. They rate them on a one to five, but the biopsies don't show that. Hmm. That concerns the doctor. He says, you know, it's possible it is aggressive and I just can't get to it. He said, we've done 52 samples. I'm at peace. I'll just keep running. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's all you can do until you can't, you know, and so we, we, we monitor the, you know, your PSA, which is not a perfect, it's not perfect. It's just a data point. Mm-hmm. And if it starts escalating, then we'll have to do something. But for now, I'm at peace with it. When you first hear about a, your when cancer is referenced to you, it did it. It threw me for a loop for the longest time. And um, ultimately, I just came to at peace with number one, we all have to die of something. Right. And so maybe all they've told me is, here's what you're going to die from. And okay, I don't know when, but I, it, it honestly, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I think that's that's a, a healthy way to look at that because I mean, I know you know, and again, I think a lot of this has to do with your mindset, just what you've been describing when you run and whatnot. Um, you know, this applies to life, and that's kind of one of the themes of this podcast. To be honest, is just you know, you don't have to be a runner to listen to this podcast necessarily. You know, it's it's you know, running teach, teaches us so much about ourselves and just that perseverance and. Um, you know, how to face adversity and, um, kind of being uncomfortable and, and knowing when to, you know, when to fold the cards and when, you know, to keep going, you know, so, um, that's when I first started running, I think for the first five years, I did not ever run over three miles at the time Mm -hmm. that I'd go out. It was just, I couldn't even fathom going more than three miles. And today it's like, I wouldn't go out for only three miles. That's right. Well, yeah. getting out of bed. <laughs> but it is just, you know, you start, you got to start. You just go out. Even if you walk it, keep moving. Mm-hmm. Movement is critical. Yeah. Don't die in the chair. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Um, so, how does your family feel about all this? Well, let's see here. If you've ever noticed, people who don't run don't want to hear about your running. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You they'll they'll ask you just to be courteous. Oh, are you still running? But we don't want to hear about it. But we're going to ask. <laughs> yes, I'm going to go to Colorado. I'm a, I think I'm running 15 miles. Yeah. Okay, that's nice. So they're they're good with it. I have three kids. Mm-hmm. They like it. They love the fact that I'm out running. Yeah. My wife is like, yeah, that's good. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not going out there, but <sighs> you go. So yeah, you go. <laughs> did did she so, uh, did, does she wait for you at the finish line or anything like that? Or is this kind of a separate activity for separate. you? Guys? separate activity and and i i will i see women out there at times with their children waiting for the husband i think oh god bless you (laughs) you are like amazing you are out here with your children waiting in this cold weather for this guy that's not going to show up for another seven hours bless you Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I generally, yeah. Like my family was waiting for me at the finish line. Of course they only had to wait an hour and a half, but, and I was kind of texting my sister in between, you know, but um, yeah. And it's, it is kind of a nice feeling to have somebody there, but it's also like, you don't want to be, I also know that it's incredibly boring to sit around and wait for someone. And, and so um, I can appreciate your wife's point of view on that. Yeah. So makes sense. So, um, so you, you got started a little bit later in life, which is interesting because I, I mean, I got started, you know, like in my, what, very late forties, early fifties, something like that. So, I mean, you know, I'm not, yeah. I've been doing this for that, that particularly long. So, um, what, so what would you tell somebody who, uh, you know, who, 
might have lost their job and they are, um, you know, pondering the the possibilities, would you go up to a stranger and say, maybe you should think about running? Um, you know, I actually might do that. Yeah. Because there is this mystery that I can't explain that happens when you are out running. There comes this moment where it's like your mind goes into neutral yes. and everything goes quiet. And your ability to process very deep things actually occurs. Mm. And if you can explain to me what actually happens in that moment, I would listen. All I know is it's something very magical. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it. It's worth it. So, well, Bill, I am so grateful that you found some time to talk to me. This is, your, your story is, I think you're an incredibly inspirational person. I know that's why the Marine was, you know, <laughs> messaging me and um and whatnot and uh so i'm glad we, we we got to connect and and i got to hear your story because it is a good one and um and i think again if you're not a runner it doesn't matter this one's this episode in particular is i think could be very meaningful to people you know regardless you know you can apply a because, lot to talking about yeah you know. yeah because we all need a good word mm -hmm. something that pushes you down the road for sure for sure so, all right. Well, thank you very much. Hang on for one moment. I'm going to stop recording. All right. Well, I hope you found that story very inspirational and uplifting. Um, I know I did. I felt that way after I talked to him. It was a very nice conversation. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. I always, I'm, I'm really starting to enjoy more of these interview type episodes um, just because I get to meet different people and um you know, hear other people's stories rather than me telling my own. Um, and of course, I've not been running much at all lately, just because I've been, I'm still kind of injured and, um, and I'm just kind of taking a break mentally from it. Um, I do have plans to um, go to the festival, um, which is a uh, race at the beginning of June. Uh, it's got, uh, it's like a, a trail racing festival and it's uh, held out at Krause Springs, which is outside of Austin not very far from where Willie Nelson's ranch is, by the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cause I was out at Willie Nelson's ranch last fall. I thought, wow, I know where I'm going. <laughs> That's pretty cool. He knows where to live. Um, so uh, yeah, so I've got that. I'm going to be working you know, that, but I'm also planning to run the 10 K and um, you know, again, just mixing it up. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's certainly not like I'm sitting around doing nothing. I mean, but you know, I'm, my running is, fairly minimal at this point. Um, so, but I, I do expect to make a, some sort of a comeback here <laughs> in the not too distant future. So we will see. Um, what else? Uh, I've got some pretty good interviews lined up. Um, I've got one for next week with um, a guy named Gordon Montgomery, um, who is originally from Ireland and um, is now living in Virginia. He used to live in Austin, but then he moved and uh, so I will have that conversation with him. And he's very, he's, wow, he's real deep. Um, I mean, I was kind of hanging on there <laughs> a little bit with, with that episode, but I'll save, I'll save that story for the um, intro for next week. Um, anyway, and then I'm supposed to interview um, a couple of ladies um, who attempted the Cocodona 250, which is, <laughs> 250 miles over five days it's and, and it's in arizona and mountains and yeah Whew, yeah so they they definitely deserve profiles and courage or something uh you know for for attempting that thing and uh but i'm going to talk to them on saturday so that'll be coming up or coming down the pike here in a little while and um yeah, outside of that, I mean, school's finally over. We had graduation on uh, Saturday, and it was, as always, a very moving thing for me. And I had a lot of my um, current favorite students graduate, so it's always kind of hard watching them leave. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, no. But, you know, the great thing about teaching is that you get a new crop of people. And, you know, sometimes it sometimes they, um, you know, they, you know, really gel with you. Um, and other times it's a little, you know, 
less smooth of a transition, but uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. So um, yes, I had that. And then um, sadly I did not get to teach my summer school course. So I'm kind of looking for a part-time gig. Um, yeah. So if anybody needs like editing or proofreading or something like that, nothing too strenuous, but um, let me know. Cause I definitely uh, am looking to make some extra money. I mean, I, the good thing that I did is that I um, opted to spread my pay over 12 months, even though I'm um, officially working nine months. But then if I get summer school, that, you know, I'm basically working, you know, 10 and a half months or something like that. And, uh, but that brings an extra paycheck or two um, on top of what I already make. And so I call that Christmas in July. And so it's, a very handy thing to have um, because despite what you might think, um, <clears throat> higher education doesn't always pay <laughs> very well. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so here I am, um, which, yes, yeah, so that was sort of a drag, but, you know, I'm trying to create some sources of income without, you know, having to go into one office or something like that. I really don't want to do that. I really want to kind of work at my own pace and kind of with my own, you know, rules and whatnot. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this all goes. But um, anyway, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think that's basically it for now. I will see you next time.